downstairs. If you are new with us today and your kids are running away from you right now, you might be thinking, well, where are they going? When will I get them back? They're headed upstairs just beyond the exit on the east side. We have what we call the kids' crew room, and they're headed upstairs to the kids' crew room. And after the service this morning, they will be up there, and uh, you, you may retrieve them from our leaders. You can head out the doors on my left, your right, upstairs or down. If you head out the downstairs doors, then directly in front of you as you leave the, the exit on this side, you'll see a stairwell. Just head upstairs, and as you come out the stairs, you'll be where you need to be. And if you're on the balcony level, then you can just head out the exit, and, and you'll find yourself in the right spot as well. This morning, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. That's going to be the place where we jump in. Now, what we're doing today and over the next several weeks is we are looking at the idea of a healthy church. What, what is a healthy church? And we're going to study what we're calling the heartbeat of a healthy church. We talked last week about what the church is, or maybe it would be more accurate to say who the church is, because we talked about really the, the centerpiece of the message last week is the fact that the church is not a, a building. It's, it's, this is the place where we gather, but this building, bricks and mortar, is not First Baptist Church. We are First Baptist Church, the people of the church, the body of Christ, that we are a kingdom subject to a king. We are a family adopted in as heirs, co-heirs with Christ. We are a body of believers. Christ is our head. We are a, a bride who is submissive to her groom. We're a group of people, not just a building or a place. And that all of these things, this understanding of who we are as the church, are rooted in, rooted in this, this core reality that when we were saved or when we came to faith, when we trusted in Christ, Two things happened, two significant things. We tend to focus on the first, which is that we were saved from our sins. And rightly we should, because we were saved from our sins at the moment that we trusted in Christ. But the second significant part of what takes place there, the, the transaction, if you will, is that through receiving the, the Holy Spirit, we are, we are united together with other believers in the body of Christ, the part of the the, the bride, if you will, and Jesus is himself the groom. And we were not only united with Christ through salvation, but we were united with each other in his body, the church. And so we as the church, we as the church, we as the people of the church, we have a, a job to play. We are the, the representatives of Christ, the body of Christ in this world. And that really leads us then into the next several weeks where we will be looking at the, the functions of the church. We understand who the church is, what the church is. Now we want to, over the next several weeks, answer the question, what does the church do? What is the church to be about? So beginning today and for each of the next five weeks, we're going to look at five purposes of the church. And the first purpose that we'll look at, today's purpose, is the purpose of mission. Now, we could have ordered these in, in, in a number of different ways. It's not that they are ordered in terms of their, uh, necessarily their priority, because all of these things that we're going to study 
over the next few weeks. They are mission, evangelism, disciple-making, worship, and fellowship or community. Those five things, those five functions of the church. They, they could be ordered in any number of ways because they're all important. One is not more important than the other. But I have placed mission first because I rightly think that as we understand what the mission is, that then gives direction to everything else that we do. When we properly understand the mission of the church, which flows from the mission of God, the heart of who he is, then that gives direction to all of the other activity inside of our church. It's common today for groups to have mission statements. Uh, not, not, not just churches. Of course, as a church, we, we think of our mission, our purpose, and churches have mission statements, but it's not uncommon for businesses, uh, sports teams, all kinds of, of organizations to have a mission statement, some kind of a driving statement of purpose. Well, what I want us to look at today is what the New Testament gives us as the driving statement of purpose, if you will, the mission of the church We understand who we are as the church. Now let's talk about what that does in terms of driving our our identity and our understanding. And this is the the key point that I want to make that will then affect everything else that we're going to look at today as it relates to the mission. Is is that the mission of the church shapes, when we rightly understand the mission of of the church, it shapes not only our identity, but also our activity. Or we could say that conversely. It shapes not only our activity, but also our identity. Meaning that when we rightly understand the mission of the church, it ought to affect both how we see ourselves and what we do. Not just one or the other. See, if you, if, if you have a missional identity without missional activity, then you really are, then you're, then you're a fake, then you're a phony. And if you have missional activity without a proper missional identity, then you're misinformed and you're shallow and there's no depth. It's important that we have these things together, that we have both a mission identity, mission activity, that we understand who we are and what we are to do as the people of God living on mission for him. And there's a a core reality that it's going to drive everything. It really is the first point that I want us to look at as we get into this text in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And it's this. Every member, a missionary, as we think of the church, we think of this church specifically, that we understand that every member of the church is called to be on mission for God. We are all missionaries. Typically, when you think of a missionary, what do you think of? You think of someone who goes through certain training, they jump through maybe a set of hoops to learn a new culture, a new language, they, they, they pack up and they move to a new place. Sometimes that's around the world, sometimes it's just to a, just a, a different area outside of their home base. But I want to contend this morning that as followers of Jesus, you and I right here in our own backyard, in the place where, where we live, in the place where God has put us, that we are missionaries. Because when we rightly understand the mission of God, we understand that we're all called to be on mission for his kingdom. Every member, a missionary. So everyone who follows Christ is called to be a missionary with the gospel. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. I can think of no more no more foundational text in all of the New Testament than this for our understanding of what we are to be about as the people. So oftentimes this is referred to as the great commission. 
What is a commission? A commission is a task. It's, a, it's a, a set of marching orders. It's an assignment of what you are to do. Well, the great assignment, the great, the great job description, the great commission as we know it from Jesus to his disciples is contained in these verses, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Let's read this together. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As Jesus is preparing for his ascension into heaven here in Matthew 28, his final instruction to his disciples, final words of direction for them. And, and, and as I picture this in my mind, I, I imagine Jesus, like his feet leaving the earth, right? I, I picture him saying this as he begins to rise up into the sky. We don't know that it happened that way specifically, but in my mind, that's what's taking place here, right? Jesus is beginning his ascension into heaven, and even as he does this, he's saying these words to his disciples, his last words, his words that would ring true in their ears, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what I have taught you. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's, it's our, our, our marching orders, as we've described it already. Every member is a missionary. Every, every follower of Jesus Christ is called to be a missionary with the gospel. In my life, the first time that I observed missionaries in their, in their context, if you will, in their environment, was a mission trip that I took to Africa as a college student going through Baptist collegiate ministry. And so I went to Malawi, Africa, and there we interacted with, we worked with a group of missionaries working to make disciples, to, to, to spread the work of the gospel, to build the kingdom in a in a foreign land, in a, in a culture that was not theirs, among a people that were not theirs, at least not indigenously theirs. And, and they were working to spread the gospel, to build the kingdom of Jesus. And I saw firsthand the work that they were doing. But when I came home, what I felt like, and so many people who've been on mission trips can identify with this. When I came home, what I felt like was, you know, I ought to be doing that same thing here. The very same thing that I saw this group of believers doing, and, and the way that I would have described it then at, at the age of 21, in fact, these, these were the very words that I used to try to put all of this in, in, into some form of, of understanding and share it with other people, is I came home and I would say that for the first time in my life, I felt like I was living in the New Testament. Like I felt like for those weeks that we were there, I felt like I was waking up each day, like my life was like it's somehow wrapped up in this unfolding story of what's taking place in the New Testament. And when I came home, I thought, I want, I want to feel that. I want to experience that here in my own context, in my own place as well. And, and I really believe that what I was beginning to, to wrestle with in my heart is the very thing that the Lord has called every one of us as believers to do. You don't have to go on a mission trip to connect the dots. That happens to be how I connected those dots, how I put all of that together. But the truth is, is that a, a, a study, a, an honest study of the word of God leads us to understand that every one of us is called to be on mission for the kingdom of God in the place where he has put us. Every member, a missionary. Every one of us. Well, so then the, the second thing that we see 
really just logically flows from that. If every member is a missionary, then everywhere is a mission field. You don't have to go to the other side of the world to be on a mission field. Because if you are a missionary, then the place where you are is your mission field. And so everywhere is a mission field. That means Chickasha is a mission field. It means if you live in one of the surrounding communities around Chickasha, that is your mission field. It means the place where you live, the block that you live on, the, the, the people that you live next to, the place where you work, your, your office, your, your workspace, your place at school, your, you know, wherever your desk is, wherever your locker is, wherever your dorm is, the spaces of your world as you think of them, that is your mission field. Everywhere is a mission field because every believer, every member of this church, every member of the body of Christ is called to be a missionary. And so when God calls you, he gives you a mission field. Now let's look at another very foundational, very, very essential text for us as we think about the mission of the church. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you've heard these words before. Jesus again shares these words with his disciples this is, this is Luke's account of the same things, essentially, that Jesus shared that we find recorded in Matthew 28. Luke is, Luke is sharing this at the time of the ascension. And in, in Luke's story, in his timeline, this flows over into the beginnings of this book of the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said to them these words, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when you understand where these different locations fall on a map, Jerusalem, that's where they were. That was their their current position. That's That's where they were located as this is taking place, right? The city of Jerusalem. Judea. Judea was the, the region there, thereabouts. It was Judah, the land of Judah, but it also included a, a little broader territory than just the original tribal lands of Judah. Samaria. Samaria extended into the north. Samaria were the former, the former lands of the northern tribes of Israel, the northern ten tribes. At this time, this is taking place contextually. This is known as Samaria. But not even just not even just Jerusalem, not even just Judea, not even just Samaria, but literally to the ends of the earth. If we were going to put that in context for ourselves today, we might think of it this way, right? Working our way out and thinking in terms of concentric circles. Jesus is saying, in your community, in your, in your, your county, in your state, in your nation, to the ends of the earth, something like that. So for us, our Jerusalem is Chickasha. Our Judea would be, you could think of it maybe Grady County, southwest Oklahoma, something of that nature, right? Our Samaria, we might think of as, maybe you think of it as the state of Oklahoma. Maybe you want to go even broader and just think of it as all of the United States. It's our our indigenous local context. But then beyond that, to the ends of the earth, the point is this. Are we to reach people on the other side of the, of the globe with the gospel, yes, we're to partner together in that work. But we also need to understand that that begins here at home. The place where you are now, that is your, 
your immediate mission field? Do you have a part to play in reaching believers in other countries and and, and, and spreading the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth among the unknown, the unreached? Yes. And I want to talk in a minute about how we do that, how we are doing that already. Let's understand that that begins here. Literally, you can't get to the ends of the earth until you step out your own front door, right? And God has called you to be a missionary in the place where he's put you. Now, together as Southern Baptists, we partner in what is known as the cooperative program. And so a percentage of every dollar given to our church is directed toward the work of the cooperative program, the way that we budget, the way that we have structured our finances as a church is so that every dollar that we receive toward our budget, that 15% of that off the top goes to the work of missions. 12.5% of that through the cooperative program I'll tell you a little bit more about what happens and where that goes in just a second. And 2.5% through our local association of churches focused on reaching people here in Grady County known as the Grady Baptist Association of Churches. So 2.5% to Grady Association and then 12.5% the Cooperative Program. Cooperative Program is a program that was established by Southern Baptists in 1925 and essentially what it is is it is a pooled set of resources that Southern Baptist churches contribute together. We take, we take a, a portion. Each church decides how much they direct and they direct those funds through their state convention to the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, the larger, the the, the nationwide, really literally even worldwide organization. So what we do is each month we take take, uh, 15% of our funds, two and a half locally, 12 and a half through our state convention, and we we cut them a check. So let's let's just use a nice round number. Let's say that in the month of uh, January, we bring in $100,000. Then of that $100,000 that we bring in in the month of January, we would take 12500 of that. We would write a check of 12500 and we would send that to the state office, the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma, located on North May Avenue. If you know the Baptist building there at 3800 North May, we send the check there. And from there, those funds are then directed toward both local Baptist work in the state of Oklahoma through the BGCO, and then also a portion of that directed on to the national convention, the Southern Baptist Convention as well. And from there, it's divided up amongst all the different entities. You think of the International Mission Board. You think of the North American Mission Board. You think of the Executive Committee, the SBC Executive Committee. You think of all these different parts of the the Southern Baptist Convention, and beyond that even, the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma, all the different entities. I actually have sort of a unique perspective at all, of all of that because I serve on the board of directors for the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma and my specific assignment is on the finance committee. Uh, why they chose me for the finance committee, I don't know. I don't have a finance background or anything of that nature, but that's where I got put. And so I get to be a part of those conversations and get sort of an inside look at the finances of the BGCO and where those things are directed. And so I get to see the different divisions and, 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 and all the ways that our monies are pulled together as Baptist churches in Oklahoma and then used, leveraged toward kingdom work. Now, here's the point of all that. You have a hand in that through giving and tithing to the work of this church. Beyond that, the other 85%, if you want to think of it that way, the other 85% are directed through the administration of our church and, and, and given not only to support the work of ministry 
here within the church, within the ministries of the church, preschool ministry, children's ministry, uh, youth ministry, so on and so forth. It goes to all the things. It goes to things like keeping the, the bills paid, the lights on, and, and, and the air on. It goes to paying our staff and our salaries. and it, All of these different things flow through your faithful giving. I'm proud of our church, proud to say that we do this well. The, the giving part of it, yes, we give well. But we, every year, we get recognized as a leader amongst churches our size in the state of Oklahoma for our giving to missions. We are dedicated. We are dogmatically committed to the idea of reaching the ends of the earth through our cooperative work with other Baptists. But here's what I want you to hear me say. It's not just enough for us to give an offering and sit back and watch it work. It's not just enough for for you to be able to contribute, whether you give online or whether you write a check, however you, to just be able to give and then sit back and know, hey, my money is going to good use. It is, frankly, but it's not enough. Because if we understand this text rightly, You have a responsibility that is so much bigger than just giving to the work of missions. When we say that you're to be a missionary, we don't mean that you support the work of missions through your tithes, though you should. It means that you have an active role to play as a participant, as a missionary on a mission field. It's so much bigger than just how much you give and where those CP funds go. It has everything to do with the mindset, with the worldview that sees your life, your role, your your context as your mission field. Every member is a missionary, every member of the body of Christ, every member of this church, but importantly, everywhere is a mission field. Everywhere you go, that's a part of your mission field. And then finally, this we see every day is a mission moment. When God calls you, he calls you to a mission field. But not only does he call you to a mission field, he calls you to to work that field now, in this moment, right? And, And whatever the Lord is calling you to do, when God calls you to that mission field, you can trust that he will equip you for the task And so something that I say often, I can't take credit for this. Frankly, no one really knows where this came from. It's one of those quotes that the the original source has been lost at this point. But I say often that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Meaning that God's going to call you, and then he's going to supply what you need to do the work that he's called you to do. He doesn't, the Lord isn't just looking around and saying, oh, here's a few special elite chosen ones that have all their stuff in order and, and, and they've got it all, life all figured out and they have this perfect understanding of who they are and, and, and all the money in the world and all the time in the world to do everything that they need to do. They're perfectly type A. They've got life organized, the bull by the horn, so to speak. That's who I want. No, the Lord calls all of us. You may think, my life is messy. It's chaotic. It's a tornado, a whirlwind. But the Lord's called you in the midst of that you would serve on your mission field every day, today. This is your mission moment. This is your opportunity. And if the Lord has called you, and he has, then he's going to equip you for the task. 
So when God calls you to your mission field, he equips you for the task. Let's look at a few verses of scripture here that are essential to our understanding of this. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us in our hearts to honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. We're always to be ready at every moment, at any, at any moment, at every opportunity. Not only that, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 11, Jesus says to his disciples, when they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. If you will be ready, if you will prepare your heart in those moments, the Holy Spirit will work. He will give you the words to say. The importance is that you and I would be ready in the moment. So I want to take all of this. and let's, let's give some context to it. Let's flesh it out. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Maybe if you turn to Luke 12 to look these verses up, you're close by already. But what I want to do is I want to look at a story in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sends his disciples out and, and let's give some context to how these principles work together. Luke chapter 10, this is sometimes referred to as uh, one of the, the earliest mission trips. Jesus sends the 72 out. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now jump down to verse 17. Then the 72 returned. So Jesus sends them out. Now they come back. They've done the the work. They, They come back. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What are we, how, how are we to understand this? What's, what's happening here? Let's, let's look at this specific idea of you and I being called as missionaries to a mission field for this mission moment. And, and I want to make I want to make a few contextual points of application here, related to this idea that you are a missionary and this is your mission field and this is the day this is your mission moment, if you will. First of all, we see that when God sends you on a mission, you go out to accomplish His purpose. Look at verse one. Jesus called them, He appointed them, and sent them on ahead of Him into every town and place where he himself was about to go. 
Jesus was preparing the way for the work that he was going to do. And the disciples here, these, this is more than just the original 12, but 72 which are sent out, a group of followers which are sent out into, divided up and sent out into these different towns and areas. These are all places that Jesus is going to go and, and minister. They're all going ahead of him to do the work that he's called them to do. When God sends you on mission, you go to accomplish his purpose, the agenda, the mission plan, if you will, the, the purpose is his purpose, his mission, his agenda, his design for your life. When God sends you out, you go to accomplish his purpose, his work. Secondly, we see that when God sends you on mission, you're to go and to work. You're to go and you are to be a laborer. He says here that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's plenty of people to reach, but not enough people to reach them is what Jesus is saying. You and I are called to go out into the world and to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to be laborers, workers, missionaries. The harvest is ripe, it's ready. Thirdly, we see that when God sends you on a mission, there will be challenges. You can expect challenge, expect opposition, expect there to be speed bumps, roadblocks, if you will, along the way. That's why he says in verse 3, I'm sending you out as lambs into the midst of wolves. Jesus knew what was awaiting his disciples. He knew what lie in store for them. But he's telling them, look, I'm sending you out as, as lambs among wolves. I'm sending you out, and there's going to be trouble, and there's going to be challenges along the way. You ever feel like, man, I, I, I try to do these things for the Lord, but it seems like around every corner, like, just in the moment when I think, man, this is what God has called me to, this is what he wants, then, then I meet all this opposition and all this trouble. It just Life gets hard. Jesus even said to his disciples, expect it. Expect there to be opposition along the way. Expect there to be difficulties and challenges. Don't expect things to be easy. Don't expect all of life to be smooth sailing. Don't expect everyone to just... To, to just welcome you in, even in this, we see that that's not, that's not reality. But our call is to go. Our call is not to make people respond. That's, that's the work of the Lord. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Our call is to go, to be faithful witnesses, faithful missionaries, if you will. We ought to expect challenges, obstacles along the way. Fourth in this Practically speaking, we see that when God sends you on mission, he will provide for the work. So he says, verse 4, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. Now that doesn't mean that, that, doesn't mean that we are to live foolishly. In context today, this is not telling us that we aren't to, that we're to just sell everything and, and, and be a bunch of wandering nomads, right? It's, it's not wrong for you to work a job. It's not wrong for you to take your wallet with you when you go on mission or, or something like that. This is not, this, this is about a, a teaching and application here. This is not giving us specific directives. But the point in this instance of what Jesus is saying is, I want you to depend on me, not on yourselves, not on what you can do. I don't want you going into these cities and relying on what you can do for yourselves. I want you going into the places where I'm sending you, dependent upon me. Oh, if we would understand 
what it, what it means to live dependent upon the work of God in our context. So many people, they, they stop short of what God wants them to do because, frankly, because maybe they lack the, the faith or at least the, the, the faithful vision to see what God wants to do. They don't see how. Lord, I don't see how that's going to happen. I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. And it's if God is wanting to speak to, to them. He's speaking to you today, perhaps, to say, look, yeah, you're right. You can't. Jesus says, with me, all things are possible. Through him, he can do whatever he's called you to. You may think, I, there's no way I can. I can't do that. Remember that if he's called you to it, he's going to equip you to do it. Trust him. So when God sends you on mission, he will provide for the work. Fifth, when God sends you on mission, he will be responsible for the results. Verse six, he talks about if a son of peace lives there. If a son of peace lives there, then, then stay with them. Your peace rests on him. And if not, he says, it will return to you. He goes on in verse 10, he says, if, if they don't receive you, then you go out into the streets and you cast this word of judgment against them, that we're going to shake the dust of the city off of our feet. We're going to move on to the next thing. In other words, this, this is the point. When God sends you on mission, he'll be responsible for the results. Maybe people receive, maybe people that you share with will, will be receptive to the gospel. Maybe they'll be receptive to what, what the Lord is, is wanting to do in their life. And honestly, maybe they won't. Whether or not someone receives the gospel, whether or not someone believes and turns to Jesus, frankly, isn't your responsibility. You weren't called to save anybody. Can I just release you of that burden if you carry that around? You and I are not responsible to save anyone. We couldn't save ourselves, much less how, could we save anyone. That's, that's the Lord's work. Our responsibility is to share. Our responsibility is to go, is to understand that as missionaries, we are called to take the good news to our mission field every day. So God will be responsible for the results. You and I must be faithful to obey, to go. And then finally, again, just in context, practical application of all these principles kind of we, we see put into, into play here is this. When God sends you on mission, you go with his authority. He's the one that's preparing the way. He's the one that's doing the kingdom work. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and the subject of, of your faith or the subject, the matters of faith came up and, and, and maybe this was someone that you knew wasn't a believer, but you were surprised that, that they began to tell you of ways and, and recount ways that God had already been working in their life. Or maybe for, for some you can look back at your own personal journey to faith. And before you ever believed in Jesus, before you ever called on him as Savior, you can point to things in your life and you say, but I see the ways that God was working. I see ways that these things, and, and at the time I didn't understand it. Maybe at the time I couldn't, I couldn't even verbalize it. I, I, I hadn't connected all of the dots yet. But I look back and I see how God was at work and he was drawing me. He was reaching me even before I knew what he was doing. Do you know that that's exactly how, that's exactly how the scripture describes the work of God here in this 
Jesus is sending his disciples out into all the places where he's going to, to go. Jesus already has a plan for what he's going to do. When they go, they're to proclaim his kingdom, to do the work. Some will believe, some won't. They'll find people of peace there, those who are ready to receive and those who are ready to listen. They'll find others who reject them, who aren't. But in all of this, what Jesus tells his disciples when they return to him is, I sent you with my authority. Look down at, look at verse 19, really, but let's, let's pick up in verse 17 again. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us in, their name, in your name. They came back and they said, Jesus, you wouldn't believe what happened. And Jesus, again, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm contextualizing his words here. He says, uh, I think I would, <laughs> right? I, I, yeah. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, no, I saw that I saw the enemy. The enemy was running because of what you were doing. Verse 19, behold, I have given you authority. What the disciples did as they went out, they went with the authority that Jesus provided. When you go on mission, you don't just go in your name. You go representing him with his authority. Why is that important? That means that it means that all those things that you feel incapable of are, are possible in the name of Jesus. All those things that you feel inadequate for, you don't have to be adequate because Christ is sufficient. He's enough. All those things that you think there's no way. Well, I mean, wouldn't it be cool, but man, there's no way. Are possible through the power of the work of Jesus. He's the one that has the authority. He's the one that will do the, the real work. Your responsibility is to go and to share. Every one of us called to be a missionary. Everywhere is our mission field, but specifically the place where God's put us, right? Everywhere in, 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 our, in our place, in our context, every day, our mission moment. We are called to go. Now listen, if you really, if you really understand this, this truth is transformational. Because if you really understand this, it changes the way you approach Everything, doesn't it? If you really feel the call of God on your life to be a missionary where he's put you, then, then think about it. Your, your job, whatever it may be, that's your, that may be your, your day job. That may be how you pay the bills. But your real job is spreading the kingdom of God, spreading the gospel, sharing the good news of Christ with others. And the place where you are, that's just your, your cover, if you want to think of it that way. We're not to be covert. We're not to be, right? I mean, it's not, it's not a secret. But in the, in the sense that that's just the front for you to do your real work, which is to share the gospel everywhere, every day, in the place where the Lord has established you because you're a missionary on a mission field ready for your mission moment. And if we understand this, it, it, it transforms the way that we see even the mundane, the, the ordinary, because now our lives take on meaning and purpose. So what I hope you see, what I hope you're hearing, what I hope you're understanding this morning is that God has called you. If you have trusted Christ by faith and you are a missionary, you may think, well, if I'm a missionary, I'm not a very good one. Well, then let the today be the beginning of some change, right? Answer the call. Understand your role. 
Be willing to do what you're called to do. Step up to the plate. You're a missionary who's called to a mission field, and this is your mission moment. What will you do with it? In a moment, we're going to have a time of response, and as we sing this song of invitation and we respond in obedience to God's call, I want to encourage you today that you would make a commitment before God today, this morning. Lord, I'm going to do whatever it takes to serve you, to build your kingdom in the place where you've put me. And it may feel like you start out crawling at first, baby steps, right? And that's okay. That's okay. The Lord isn't calling you to become Billy Graham overnight, right? That's not the point. He's probably not calling you to be Billy Graham anyway, because there's already been a Billy Graham. He's calling you to be you in the place where he's put you. And it doesn't mean that you have to get to the end now. Start from where you are. Take those simple steps of obedience. Move in the direction that God is leading you. And as you respond by faith to him, watch as he opens doors, as he prepares the way, as you go with his authority. Be amazed as things start to fall in place that you think, I don't, I don't, I don't know how that happened. Well, but you do, right? Because it was, it was the work of God going before you. You were just stepping into his plans and his purpose. Years ago, I'll end with this. Years ago, Henry Blackaby wrote a study. Henry Blackaby and Claude King wrote a study that was called Experiencing God. And one of the foundational principles of experiencing God, they discovered, was that you need to find out where God is at work and you need to join him. Well, can I tell you where God is at work? Wherever you live. That's where God's at work. Now, it gets more specific than that. I, I realize I'm oversimplifying things a little bit. But wherever you are in your life, in your world, God is at work around you. Today, may your eyes be open to see what he's doing. And may you have the willingness to be obedient and to join him in that work. That you might be a faithful missionary in the mission field where God has put you. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, today... Open our eyes. Broaden our horizon. Help us to see what you are calling us to do, Lord, that we might be faithful missionaries to the field where you have called us. Lord, use us. Build your kingdom through us. We confess we are powerless on our own. We don't have what it takes. We're not smart enough to figure this all out. We're not good enough. Certainly, we don't have enough abilities to do all the work that you want to do. Lord, we, we are inept without you, and yet we believe it is your power at work in us. So, Lord, lead us. And as we respond in obedience, move in our lives. Build your kingdom through your church, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together this morning as we sing this song of invitation. I invite you that you would respond.